win, is winning bids into markets uh, all around the globe today. That's right. And we expect uh, that once it gets a toehold, especially with a price on carbon, carbon capture, utilization, and sequestration will follow the same path. The same, it, same trajectory. It, it's yeah. caught, it will become increasingly competitive with other forms. This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. Once again, this podcast was not recorded face-to-face, but using Zoom. This is the second podcast in a series shining a light on climate change and net-zero greenhouse gas commitments, and what the implications may be for those net-zero commitments. I noted in the last podcast the notable example of such a commitment by the Government of Canada, which introduced Bill C-12, an act respecting transparency and accountability in Canada's efforts to achieve net-zero greenhouse gas emissions by the year 2050. Over this podcast series, I want to unpack these GHG emissions reduction targets and net zero commitments to try and understand what they mean for the governments that make these commitments, the potential impacts on the companies that produce and deliver electricity, how it will change energy use, and what it may mean for the customer. For this second podcast in the series, I'm joined by Kate Chisholm, Senior Vice President, Planning, Stakeholder Relations, and Chief Sustainability Officer at Capital Power. Capital Power is a growth-oriented North American power producer, publicly traded, and headquartered in Edmonton, Alberta. Here is my conversation with Kate Chisholm, recorded in early June 2021. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Glad you were able to join us. Thank you so much for having me, Francis. So the series that I've been working on is on Net Zero 2050. That's what I'd want to chat a little bit about today. But before we get to that, uh, maybe if you could, for the listener's sake, just give the listener a sense of, of what Capital Power is all about. Well, Capital Power is a growth-oriented independent power producer. We're publicly traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. We have uh, about uh, 6,500 megawatts uh, in 26 facilities distributed all over North America uh, with fuels that range from uh, solar and wind on the one hand to natural gas, uh, coal, and other solid fuels on the other hand. Um, we will be off coal completely by 2023. We've been working really hard on that. Off coal by uh, 2023. So we've gotten to the, to, the, to the bottom line right at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> okay, well, 2023. All right. I like never to waste an opportunity to give a plug, you know. Um, <laughs> And uh, we, beyond that, we're working very hard at decarbonizing our natural gas plants. And so um, um, uh, uh, through a number of means, but um, we like to think of ourselves as sort of trying to help the energy system achieve its trifecta of affordable, reliable, and environmentally responsible. And so uh, we've got a whole bunch of big brains, not including myself (laughs) in that, uh, working on all sorts of different solutions uh, to net net carbon neutral. 
Right. Okay. And then Capital Power uh, started out as uh, part of uh, Epcor and got spun off a number of years ago. Was that uh, that was the genesis? We I, that we IPO'd Capital Power from Epcor in two thousand and nine. Okay. Uh, and and um, I always tell people when asked that question, yes, and I did that IPO, and so I am technically Capital Power's mother, although <laughs> approaching grandmother at this stage. Terrific. So so let, let's um, let's uh, shift into um, net zero twenty fifty, and uh, I mean that is a, an objective that the the government of Canada has put out. It's an it's an aspiration. What's the what are the targets for capital power itself? What uh, you know what a, what is the company set for uh, its net zero target, or is there a net zero target? Well, we do have a net zero in by twenty twenty. By 2050 target, Uh, and uh, we also have uh, some ambitious 2030 targets. But when I told you before that capital power is growth oriented, that growth uh, provides sort of a um, a conundrum because absolute uh, emission reduction goals, when when you are growth oriented, can only Mm. be done on on a facility by facility basis because of course. Uh, if you're measuring intensity, for example, the denominator is is capacity. Okay. Uh, and so if you're adding to the denominator um, all the time, it, it makes it very difficult to uh, to demonstrate um, progress. So we have a we have a goal to reduce our intensity, our, our emissions intensity by 2030 by 65 percent, notwithstanding okay. growth. Right. Uh, and uh, we have um, a target to reduce our absolute emissions at our critical uh, Genesee facilities by 10% by 2030. And we're going to far exceed that because, as I said, first of all, we're going to repower them to natural gas. Right. And so that will, uh, although it increases the capacity at those units, it, it uh, reduces their emissions by half. Right. Uh, but in addition to that, we are... Um, hoping to, um, there's three units there, each of which are about 450 megawatts. And uh, on two of them, we're hoping to attach carbon um, capture usage and sequestration. And we're either going to sequester in an aquifer right underneath Genesee, or we're going to send it into the new carbon hub that okay. the uh, province of Alberta has has just announced. And then on the third one, we are attaching the Genesee Carbon Conversion Center, where we're going to be capturing uh, our carbon emissions right out of that stack and converting them into carbon nanotubes. Okay, I've heard you talk about carbon nanotubes in the past. I guess now is as good a time as any. Uh, what the heck is a carbon nanotube and what do you do with it? Well, that's a, a very good question. Uh, to the layman, um, a carbon nano, in fact, I, I think I, I let you shake my vial of carbon nanotubes at one point. Uh, to, that's right, to, yes. <laughs> to the layman, uh, it's similar to a carbon fiber, um, uh, but they're not really fibrous. They look like little black cake sprinkles, Francis. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so if you if you imagine, uh, I'm not an engineer, so I apologize to any engineer that's listening to this, but if you imagine a two-dimensional sheet of graphene mm-hmm. uh, and roll it up like a rigatoni pasta uh, and then slice it, uh, that's what we get. Um, they're very interesting because they, um, they have a greater tensile strength uh, than steel. 
Okay. Uh, they're more conductive than copper and they're lighter than aluminum. And so, um, uh, and I was, I, I, that's a very, very strong combination. So carbon right. nanotubes can be used for a whole bunch of things, including uh, the uh, construction of batteries, aerospace, polymers, cleaning materials, construction materials. Uh, uh, they've already been, not by us, but by another, they were incorporated into the skin of the, um, of jetliners in order to make the jetliners lighter, and so they oh. would run further on jet fuel. Okay. Um, but so so they're 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 pretty cool, and and we have a deal uh, in which we are selling them to a cement company called Lehigh, which is one of the biggest cement manufacturers in the world, okay. to incorporate into cement. And the thought is, uh, it's a pilot project at this stage, but the thought is that it will make the cement longer lasting and mm -hmm. stronger, uh, but it will also uh, make the cement do whatever they want it to do in terms of bridges and highways and things with about a third less cement, which will help the cement industry avoid making a third of the emissions they're making right now as, a, okay. as another heavily emitting industrial process. So we're pretty excited about that. And we're also looking at doing similar partnerships with um, some steel manufacturers and some tire manufacturers. So what otherwise would have been waste? You're turning into something that you're selling. You're going to, this is going to be a revenue stream for the company as well. It is. And uh, um, we're hoping that uh, sort of once we can develop a market with these pilot projects that the revenue that we raise from it will actually offset the cost of capture because I mean as right. most people know it's that cost that it, it is the only thing standing between between us and economically reducing the carbon emissions out of thermal generation. Right yeah and I think it's it's always an interesting conversation with people uh, when talking about uh, reducing emissions um, and, and net zero. It's a less of a complex uh, a challenge in jurisdictions that, oh, I don't know, have a lot of water um, oh, yeah. and a lot of that water is falling. But that, I mean, that's not the, the, the case for, well, I mean, capital powers in a whole lot of jurisdictions, but uh, you're, you're based in Alberta. The challenge in Alberta is, is that, you know, there aren't, there aren't a lot of options. So this, this kind of gets to the net part of net zero, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and you're exactly right. I mean, those lucky provinces that are rich in hydro don't yeah. have to worry about this stuff. But uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan and some of the Maritimes will have to worry about it, along with a number of uh, of the United States. So um, and, and the um, the thing that we're hearing now uh, for provinces like Alberta and Saskatchewan is that in order to meet the 2030 goals, the yeah. Paris 2030 goals, um, we, we sort of need to use today's technology because we don't have a lot of runtime. And so to the extent that there's a lot of capital involved and, and uh, a long construction time, um, we, don't have, we don't have the time to invent things between now and 2030 that will achieve those 2030 yep. goals. Yeah. That will have to be between 2030 and 2050. And so carbon conversion, carbon capture usage and, and sequestration are well proven. Yep. They were just expensive. Um, and so uh, I think that CCUS will play a very big role between now and 2030 and enabling Canada to meet its 2030 goals. Yeah, and well, and 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 everything I've been reading uh, about projections of uh, 2030, 20, and particularly 2050. I, I don't know anybody who's talking about a, a 2050 target credibly, and, and um, saying that that 2050 uh, net zero target is is going to be achieved without some form of carbon capture. 
including including Bill Gates in, in his recent book. Um, so so what does the timing start to look like for some of these things? Um, I, we're doing carbon capture now. Um, what does the what is the sort of the the, the runway for um, building that market for the the products uh, that will come out of uh, the, the captured carbon, whether it's carbon nanotubes or other products? What, what's the what's the time frame on that? Well, like I said, we can do the they are technically feasible at the moment. Yeah. It's right. the commercial aspects that we need to work on. Yeah. Uh, and so the government will help us, I'm hoping, in the short term. Um, and then beyond, so I think CCUS will be important in the very short term to help us to 2030. Yeah. Beyond that, uh, we'll have uh, more development in, in batteries and, and combining batteries with renewables. Right. Uh, but we'll also have hydrogen. But hydrogen is a much longer putt, I think, than CCUS. Okay. Um, so, you know, there are a number of challenges that we have in 2021 that we likely won't have in 2030 vis-a-vis -vis hydrogen and that is things like um, infrastructure um, we're going to have to think about how we how if and when and um, to what extent we convert our natural gas infrastructure into hydrogen infrastructure which is sort of a, a chicken and egg problem like we have with electric cars do you build the infrastructure right. first and expect yeah. people to buy cars or yeah. um but uh, the other thing that we're finding is um, hide the, there is not a linear emission reduction with the amount of hydrogen you blend into natural gas. And so okay. our units are going to be 30% hydrogen ready. Um, and they will be, that will be as of 2023. Uh, but if we are able to get 30% hydrogen into them, it will only reduce our emissions by 10%. Oh, okay. Um, and so, so there are some economic hurdles that we need to work through in addition to the supply hurdles for right. hydrogen. But we are working very hard on that. And we think that along with renewables and batteries, hydrogen will take a much bigger role between 2030 and 2050 as well. Yeah. So, so how, how critical... Um, I mean, I've made reference to other people that have, that have written about this, but from, from your perspective, how critical is this... Is carbon capture and utilization going to be to be able to, to meet our, our net zero targets over the long term? I think it will be absolutely critical, Francis. Yeah. Uh, it's from a cost perspective, if nothing else. Uh, but um, as you said before, I live in Alberta. And yeah. uh, in, in Alberta, when the month of February can be uh, pretty consistently below minus 30 with no wind blowing whatsoever, right? Uh, batteries are going to be incapable of uh, providing a reliable supply in, in situations like that yep. for long enough to, to keep the lights on and keep homes heated. Um, and so um, in, in areas like Alberta and Saskatchewan, like we said, areas that, that aren't blessed with uh, major hydro resources or nuclear, yeah. uh, we're going to have to continue to rely on natural gas. And so the only way then that we'll make uh, um, uh, emission reduction targets would be to decarbonize natural gas, and and CCUS is the way to do that. Right, and you, you know you, you say um, you know, jurisdictions like you know Alberta and Saskatchewan and the Maritime Provinces, but but also most of the rest of the world as well, right? I mean, it's, it's yep. Canada, uh, Scandinavia. There are there are a few places that 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 have the massive hydro resources that some of the regions in this country have. So uh, is um, what your 
attempting to do uh, with your carbon capture and utilization. Uh, it sounds to me that this has uh, application uh, beyond the borders of Canada. Um, is, are, are these uh, technologies that uh, Canada has the possibility of becoming leaders in and, and commercializing internationally? We certainly think so. And, and uh, you raise a very good point because we can um, create, for example, carbon nanotubes from direct air capture. Right. Uh, and we can put the direct air capture units ah. anywhere. Ah, okay. Um, in the short term, um, it, it makes sense to attach uh, our uh, sort of carbon capture technology to our stacks because uh, the avoidance of carbon tax sort of underpins some of the short-term economics. Right. But uh, as we get on out past 2030, for example, I think that direct air capture units uh, will be able to help China, uh, the Arab states, um, India, etc. And and because they can be placed anywhere, right. they will even be able to help companies like um, Capital Power. We have we believe that uh, natural gas, as I said, is going to continue to play a very critical role in in the electric grid everywhere um, that it's available. Uh, but um, there's a there's a problem because I think. Uh, the capacity factors of large units are going to decrease. Okay. Uh, and so the function that it's serving in the, in the electric grid is going to change a little bit. It's, it's Sorry, going the to capacity from, factors are going to, are going to reduce decrease? because of? Yeah. Well, because I, I, they won't be needed as much. They won't be needed ah. for baseload power. They will be needed for peaking and, and you know, February in, in Alberta, et cetera, right. so et cetera. It's the, it's the, it's the back. The, the, um, the, yeah. And, and, and in, I think in certain places uh, for transmission purposes. And so they're, okay. they're either going to be smaller or they're going to be not running very much. Gotcha. Uh, and, and so carbon capture utilization and sequestration attached to units may, may not be economic at that point. Right. And at that point we'll need direct air capture so that, for example, if capital power ends up in 2040 with, uh, uh, 150 small 25 megawatt units dispersed everywhere, then we can put a, a direct air capture unit somewhere yeah. uh, that would capture an equivalent of our carbon emissions. Um, and that's why we talk about net carbon net. neutral. Right. Right. Yeah. That gets you to the net. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, I've had conversations with people where, you know, projecting beyond 2050 and, and, and a net zero 2050, we'll have to address the, you know, 150 years of carbon that we've put into the atmosphere as Indeed well. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think beyond 2050, as we get, get to 2050 and beyond, the direct air capture is, is, go, is going to be a feature. Is that something that Capital Power has been in, involved um, in, in, in looking at it, direct air capture? Absolutely. Uh, we have purchased um, a large equity interest in a company called C2CNT, which was one of the XPRIZE finalists and in fact won uh, a prize from XPRIZE. Uh, and they um, have a direct air capture unit operating right now. Okay. Um, but it's quite small scale. And again, uh, it's, it's, not, it's quite expensive to run until you have a market for the carbon nanotube. So we're, that's, the, that's the part that we're working on really right. hard at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you get that, the, then you get the, the revenue stream from the product. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, one of the things that uh, I ask uh, folks that come onto the uh, podcast um, is about their journey. 
And I, uh, I'm sure the uh, uh, the listener would be interested in in understanding what what your journey has been, uh, and how you got to to where uh, the position that you now hold today with uh, with Capital Power. So, what was uh, what was your journey, Kate? Well, um, I have served as uh, the chief legal officer of uh, an electric company uh, for a very long time, and uh, I. I um, I'm getting kind of long in the tooth, Francis, and <laughs> and uh, but in spite of my age, I I want sort of uh, intrinsic challenge all the time, yeah. and uh, so um, after 30 years of general counselhood, I approached uh, Brian Vasjo, who is one of the greatest guys in the entire world, my boss, the CEO of Capital Power, mm-hmm. and said, you know, I think we really need uh, a chief sustainability officer, um, and I think we need that. Uh, CSO to be um, reporting directly to you. And uh, so he said, okay, well, we'll try it as an experiment. And so for two years, I was chief legal officer and chief sustainability officer. Uh, And um, just last year, he said, okay, this is working uh, well enough that uh, we're going to have you, we're going to take legal away from you and we're going to combine sustainability and strategy into one and you'll be the chief strategy and sustainability officer and because uh sustainability is really is our strategy as i said we're we're hoping to uh uh, to lead uh, the way in terms of responsible energy for tomorrow. And so I love my new job. And uh, it's it's uh, so different from what I used to do. I would encourage any anybody who's mid-career or younger just to keep an open mind with respect to opportunities that come their way, but also uh, not to be um, shy about asking for opportunities like I did, because the worst thing that can possibly happen to you is that somebody says no. Yeah. Uh, but what if they don't? What if they say yes? Right. And I, I'll, I also uh, have noted uh, over the years, once we've corresponded and I see your email signature, that you have the initials QC. Uh, what, is, what does QC mean and how does one become a QC? Well, it, people in Ontario scoff at those, those initials. Um, in Alberta, uh, it means Queen's Council. And okay. basically it means that... Um, uh, you're getting long in the tooth and you've been a lawyer for a very long time. Uh, <laughs> they don't just give it based upon years that you've been a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in Alberta, somebody else has to uh, nominate you and okay. uh, it's, it's done through a, um, a different process. In Ontario, I think they still offer them, but you can nominate yourself. And so uh, Ontarians have sort of gone, gone away from it a little bit, but in Alberta, the practice remains strong. Oh, I see. Okay. So you'd mentioned your role in sustainability. Let's talk a little bit about that. The importance, um, maybe if you could tell me the importance uh, of ESG. And, you know, and I I know why, you know, you've been committed to it and you have been for quite some time. But what about why is it important for your investors? Well, you know, Francis, that's an excellent question. And the answer goes like this. Uh, by 2025, 75, over 75% of the workforce and over 75% of investors mm-hmm. are going to come from that group of people that is uh, Gen Y, Gen Z, millennials, etc. Okay. And they're pretty smart. Uh, and they realize that um, by looking after sort of sustainability risks, and by that I mean the most existential risks that can face your company, 
um, you you are providing a lower risk investment. And so if you think about all of the major company gaffes and failures in over the last 15, 20 years, most of them have been sustainability failures. And so we talk about Volkswagen gate, we talk about uh, uh, the Exxon Valdez, we talk about, uh, you know, BP Deepwater Horizon, those are all sustainability issues. And, yeah. and so uh, they, they are making their investments, not just on the basis of financial importance, but all or, or uh, performance, but also on the basis of how they view your sustainability practices, because they think that uh, their money is safer uh, with uh, sustainable companies than with not sustainable companies and 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 they're quite right and so i i today in 2021 we're talking about esg investors and then traditional investors but i mm -hmm. would uh bet anybody um a toonie that by 2023 or 2024 there will be no difference everybody will be a, a, a every investor will be right. an esg investor yeah well what about the third letter in that esg the governance uh What's the what? What are the uh, you know what? What do you see as the biggest uh, challenges and 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 why why have we why have we attached uh, governance? Well, those are the three types of sustainability risks. And so, um, in governance, for example, um, you you've probably read, as has every Canadian that reads McLean's or or the Financial Post or the Globe and Mail, that uh, companies that have a more um, diverse board are likely to make better business decisions. And, and, and when I say are likely, they, they have um, not proved causation, but they have proven that companies with strong ESG scores have better financial performance. And they attribute that to a diversity of perspectives uh, being contributed to every business decision. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, and diversity is obviously a social uh, matter, but right. it does give rise to uh, better business decisions, and thus it makes for a governance matter as well. Yeah. And and um, governance. Um, so, for example, when you tie executive bonus, when when you tie executive bonuses up for potential repayment back to the company in the event of a mishap. Uh, that's a good governance practice, but it makes it, it they, they score it on a, a G of ESG basis very highly. And, and so they are, uh, these savvy ESG investors look at all three separately, but they also look at how they sort of intertwine. Right. So let me, let me circle back, um, to, to net zero and, um, a question about governments uh, and what governments uh, can do, or you know, uh, or 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 if some of the things that government does uh, prove to be a barrier. Because in in one of the future podcasts, I'll be talking to uh, some federal officials as well. So, fr from your perspective, what does the government need to do uh, to enable companies like Capital Power to meet your net zero targets? Is there things that they can do to uh, to assist or to enable? Well, I think they are uh, doing what they what they need to do or will be um, where uh, energy and I would include oil and gas in this, but electricity as well is sold in a market, for example, hmm. uh, we can no longer allow simple supply and demand to determine uh what that energy looks like and so what we what we need to do is introduce an externality 
into okay. that market, which which somebody has to pay for. Um, and uh, in the in the first instance, of course, it's going to make the the cost of energy rise significantly if consumers have to pay for it. But because it's a public good, uh, for example, reducing the emissions from uh, the production of energy, right. um, I think it's fair that governments um, contribute to the development and commercialization of these technologies so that they can become uh, economically viable on their own eventually, but also so that, for example, um, low income individuals who consume energy don't have to pay for it themselves. Yeah. And and they're doing that. Both the federal government and all of the provincial governments are, are ponying up. Uh, and and the, the fact that they are doing it means that uh, they're making decisions in respect of how to do it most efficiently for their own jurisdictions, and that's important too. Right. Uh, you know, it, it it occurs to me when you talk about uh, when you talk about the cost of technologies uh, uh, today that are not yet economic. You know, wh- wh- where things stand, for example, with uh, carbon capture utilization uh, and uh, support required. Um, if one looks back, uh, you know, 15, 20 years, the same conversations were taking place about you know, solar and wind and now uh, solar and wind stand on their own in fact your company has become a, a pretty major operator of, of wind facilities you've got wind facilities in a number of jurisdictions that's become big business for you hasn't it you bet we currently have uh, 11 pretty large uh, wind farms in operation and another seven in construction or under development. And so uh, it'll be a big part of our business. And we're hoping eventually to combine uh, some of those facilities and our solar facilities with batteries uh, to make them a little bit less, uh, I guess, intermittent and volatile. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are, those are not facilities that require support and, and, uh, and, and funding at this stage. I mean, their wind is, is winning uh, bids into markets uh, all around the globe today. That's right. And, and we expect uh, that once it gets a toehold, um, especially with a price on carbon, uh, yeah. carbon capture utilization and sequestration will follow the same path. The same, it, the same it, trajectory. It's yeah. caught, it will become increasingly competitive with other forms. Yeah. Yeah. How far away is that? You figure? Well, I would say uh, 2030 or beyond. I would say, but uh, I would love to be wrong about that. Well, 2030 is not so far away. Um, it is not. We've well, and when you consider that it takes years to plan and build these things, it really yeah. isn't very far away. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was a point that that uh, that Ken from Ontario Power Generation was made when I was chatting with him, is is the the time it takes to bring a project uh, forward and and go through all of the approval processes and engineering and design and construction and get it built. That 2030 is tomorrow. That's right. Um, yeah, and so so the, the and and I, I'm guessing that the, the timing on some of these things will will differ depending upon the the type of the type of plant that you're you're looking at, um, but but it, it isn't a matter of just you know uh, flicking a switch and you can turn a plant on to to get some of these facilities in place. Well, and and that's exactly why I think that um, for Canada to meet its twenty or the U.S. or anybody to meet their twenty thirty commitments to yeah. reduce, we're we're actually working with today's technology yeah um and and we'll be we'll be developing other technologies to to go beyond that but um we're pretty much married to what we know how to do now for 2030 right right one of the um other things that i ask everybody who comes on the podcast is about a book 
uh, I always ask people about a book, either a book that they're, they're reading or a book that they've recently read that they would recommend uh, to the listener. Um, so for you, what book would that be? Well, I have just finished yesterday uh, Mark Carney's new book called Values. Uh, there it is. Okay, here we are. commercial. I haven't had a chance to, to read it yet. So give me the <laughs> give me the scoop on it. Well, it's it's. I read it because he he warms up slowly to a chapter on corporate purpose, okay. uh, which is is where I think financial markets will will end up going right. uh but he goes through the well for example the first and second chapters the first chapter is the history of economic theory right. and that's just the first chapter and the second chapter is the history of banking uh okay. and and uh so it, it's i found it frankly to be sort of a tough slog in places but um uh, it is fascinating at the same time because he touches on things like his thoughts on uh, what the regulation of fintech and and things like Bitcoin and so on should be. Okay. Uh, and um, it's I think it's a must read for anybody that deals with regulation and governments and uh, uh, strategy because I think it's it's um, important. He's he's a very insightful guy, but he's also rumored to have political aspirations federally, right. uh, and it's good for all of us to know where he's coming from. So a must read for anybody who has interest in, in uh, government regulation strategy. Uh, I think you're policy <laughs> policy. I think you're describing the listener. So Mark Carney's book values building a better world for all. Terrific. It's, it's an important read, I think. And, and uh, it, it uh, I think uh, portends uh, the future of ESG investment. Okay. Well, we've we've now added it. Thanks to you, we've added it to the, the Flux Capacitor Book Club. That's that's terrific. Kate, thank you very much for joining the podcast. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Francis, I always enjoy chatting with you, and thank you so much for the opportunity. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future podcasts in this series, which will include industry, government, and stakeholder guests, further discussing the implications of and the pathways to the net zero future. And as always, let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.